Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I hope you know who this is, and I certainly hope you know where you are. This is Tyler Chef. I am the co-host of the Cashflow Guys Podcast. I got with me Mr. Michael Marino. How you doing, brother? The other co-host. I'm here. Still, you, you still a lot of work. <laughs> you got a lot more layers of clothing on than I do. You must be in Colorado. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had some freezing rain just a little bit ago. It's, oh, uh, isn't that lovely? Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't been a good week. <laughs> it was 50 today, and I'm in Tampa for the next few weeks, and I almost died at 50. It's crazy. 50's the best. Ah, oh, that's my favorite temperature now. Jill's getting 70 in Key West, and she's like, my God, I'm so glad you left your hoodie here. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, because I put it over Is my she? sweater. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Don't do that. It's going to have boob prints in it. <laughs> it's not going to wear the same. <laughs> but she's still not going to wear shoes, though. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, she'll still wear flip-flops. <laughs> Goodness gracious. How you been? Well, you're back. You're you're alive now, and you actually you have your sense of humor back. I don't see that you're, you know, you don't have the, the nurse maid around anymore. So that's good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, last week, uh, we kind of took the kimono off, and everybody knows uh, my situation. So, that yeah. you're not Superman after all. Uh, no. <laughs> that's right and that you're no longer 20 <laughs> or anywhere close to it oh man oh and then i got the uh hospital bill and that was uh that was nice yeah but you got that big fancy airline insurance so you're good oh god you know how it is working with insurances but uh you know in the meantime i've been uh studying like hell to interview or should i say beg for another job and jude it it, it pains me it pains me to put so much effort in so I can beg for a job. So tell me, what expand on that, because I don't think the folks at home are quite clear. You and I had a conversation about that before we pushed record, and I think it's a great thing to talk about, kind of how it can lead you down certain paths. Why do you have to feel you have to beg for a job? Uh, well, just right now, I'm in, my passive investments are not in a place right now to fully... Um, Take over my income. Right. So, you know, unfortunately, I still have to beg for another job, another airline that won't be failing in the next few months. <laughs> I guess where I'm going with that is why being your pilot, pilots are in demand. It, you would, I would think being a layperson, it's not tough to get a job as an airline pilot. Why am I incorrect? The airline industry change, well, and the economy too, changes very, very fast. Uh, 2022, 2023, it's all over the news, pilot shortage, pilot shortage, right? Right. It, it's not exactly a shortage. So this year, there is a sharp decline in air travel. Uh, you probably heard the issues with Boeing right now. Yeah. Their mm -hmm. Max, uh, Max 737s. Correct. That's, that's, people don't realize that even though Boeing is having issues pumping out planes and Airbus is way behind pumping out planes, that affects the entire airline economy right oh, i bet so in order to reduce prices you have to have increased volume well you can't increase volume if you can't get new planes <laughs> especially yeah, when the airlines and yeah like uh, united and southwest anticipated they were going to have another t extra 200 planes this year and so they hired based on that and now because boeing did a little boo-boo and didn't put some bolts in uh that affects a lot more people than a lot more people than uh, the news actually lets on to be. Wait a minute! Did you say two hundred planes between two airlines? Oh, that was the plan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. In what oh, yeah. time frame and how long? Like a decade, or was that like in one year? Uh, I think that was over like three or four years. That's insanity. 
Well, I mean, Boeing was planning on putting out 34 737s a month. Wow. That was the plan. And now the FAA just said, stop. That's interesting. So that creates a whole host of economic situations for the entire ecosystem of Boeing and everything it impacts or touches, right? Everything. Even those passengers who think they want to get a cheap flight this year or in 2024, uh, it affects that because you don't have the volume. And now a lot of airlines possibly have overhired because they were planning on pumping, pumping, pumping all these planes in. And unfortunately, we just hit the limit. You can't pump them out that fast with, with the quality that it's required. Wow. So now we have essentially too many chiefs, not enough Indians, right? Yeah. Yeah. Things turned around really fast. One of the things that you talked about that I want to talk in this episode is uh, a lot of your pilot buddies, you sit, you ride in the cockpit with these different pilots from all over the country. And a lot of them tend to like, they want to, they invest in, let's just say crack house type things in the Midwest, right? They'll, <laughs> they'll buy these. Hey, I trust me. I, I owned in South Memphis, so I am no saint when it comes to that. I've got my PhD in that garbage. Let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, what are you seeing? What kind of trends are you hearing right now? What's going on with today's beginning investor? What are they buying? What are they focused on? Well, I think it's no secret that the housing crash that people were predicting was going to happen last year hasn't happened. Right. And a matter of fact, uh, you know, we talked about this before. The There is no crash in sight because inventory is so low and the U.S. population whether it be birth or whether it be immigration, is increasing so fast that the just the math doesn't work for a crash. So because everything is increasing in price, uh, other airline pilots, uh, other friends of mine who realize the advantages of real estate investing want to get in at the low level, right? They want to right. buy and uh, rent you know, for one-year leases, what was traditionally kind of the bread and butter. Right. Well, everybody used to invest in Florida. <laughs> right aka tyler and mike <laughs> right but now a, a two-bedroom one bath in a bad neighborhood is 200 grand yeah it's no longer the poor man's paradise right. so now the beginning investors are looking where ohio i uh, heard a lot about pennsylvania like a uh, western pennsylvania pittsburgh area you know there's a lot of old steel towns there that are very very cheap to buy however they're cheap for a reason and you know more than anybody else about places that are cheap or cheap for a reason. Yeah, the only person that's probably more versed in what can go wildly wrong in low income besides me is Rod Khalif, and that's only because he bought more of them. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lesson, he got a big one, but we, I think we equally goofed on that one. We've had lots of good laughs over that because we don't have to cry anymore. It's been long, long enough that we can no longer have to cry. So uh, let me kind of unpack some of this. When you're looking at these opportunities out there, whatever it may be. Now, before we pushed record, Mike and I were talking about land. And one of the things that Jill and I do from time to time, we have a little bit of pocket cash, is we see a lot sitting where some somewhere rural. We'll buy it. Nothing major, anywhere between two and twenty grand tops. We'll buy it, we'll sit on it. And over the and we don't have a massive portfolio of lots, but we have a couple uh that we can hold on to we can use them as a piece of collateral to park a note on if we if we, have to, if we borrow money like from an ira or something like that they provide us many uses but i always buy them in the right locations and by right i mean in locations that i believe will have 
reasonable expectation of growth or the demand for those lots would be better now or better later than it is even now that it'll improve is what I'm saying. Not to say that it's demand is down now because I don't believe in buying in anything in bad neighborhoods anymore. I, I, I tried that in Memphis. It didn't work so good for me. So like for lots, for example, one of the things that I know for a fact is that, and we need to get Josiah on the podcast one of these days. Mike oh would, gosh. Yeah. He'd, he'd be a great one. Uh, my friend Josiah is a, uh, land land uh, investor. He's done very well for himself flipping land. And what he buys, he buys a mix of stuff. Now he's gravitating to bigger deals, but where he got started and where he did very well was flipping lots, vacant lots. But the one thing that he's always done very well is he buys them in great locations. And I'm not saying downtown suburbia. All of his lots are rural and he has certain criteria and uh, that, that he is proprietary. I know what it is, but I'm not sharing it with you because I'm not allowed to. But he buys in a very, and it's pretty broad stroke. It's not like it's, a, you know, grass must be green and purple. But he always buys in areas where there is a future. I buy in areas where there's potentially a future. In the you path say of future, progress. You don't mean like, uh, you know, on Long Island, you think New York's going to expand or Miami. No, no, no. Expand. More like, I believe, like in the path of progress. You know, where, if something was to expand, where would it expand? And if I'm in the way, that's a great thing, right? Hmm. Um, before we started the podcast, we talked about Costilla County, Colorado, because you see that all the time. You've driven through Costilla County and, you know, it's pretty sketch, right? Yeah, it's uh, the next county over. Right. It's it's pretty much the desert between two mountain ranges. It's very wild. Would you go down there and there's absolutely nothing? It's literally desert. There's not even a tree. But you go on a uh, like a land parcel map and it looks like New York City. I mean, there's. It, there's yeah. there's a grid pattern everywhere, thousands and maybe maybe probably even tens of thousands of parcels of land in the middle of the desert. There's not even roads to get there, and you drive past and literally it has a tumbleweed on it. That's it. And yet you look at the who owns these, and they're all owned. People right. bought it for five thousand dollars, for two thousand dollars. Still. Have they appreciated? You look at the charts, they really haven't appreciated at all. As a matter of fact, they're begging to sell them. A lot of cases, they are. A lot yeah. of them are inaccessible. They're on the side of a mountain. Well, I don't know why you want to buy a postage stamp lot on the side of a mountain you can't get to without crossing into somebody else's property. They call that landlocked. That's not a good idea. But I can tell you, fun fact, Castilla County, Colorado has more registered real estate title transfers than any other county in the entire state of Colorado. Wow. Yeah. And there's nobody down there. 17 times more transactions happen there than in the county Denver is in. Wow. Yeah, just to give an idea. So guys, what we're getting at here is that just because it's cheap doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. And what you're finding is that people are trading this stuff kind of like when we were kids and you trade a playing card like, hey, Mike, I got a Babe Ruth 1957. Ooh, well, I got a, I'm terrible at sports, but Aaron, somebody. From such and such, I used to know these all these things when I was a kid, but I never watched sports, so I forgot it all. And we wind up trading, and that's the substance of a lot of those transactions, because you don't just because you have a lot doesn't necessarily mean you sell it. You can always also trade it. You can use it as a place to park a note. Mm. And what a lot of these quote unquote investors did is they saw they got lured in by the low hanging fruit. Ooh, it's a five thousand dollar lot. I can swing that, especially when it's five hundred dollars down and a hundred bucks a month until paid. The reality is the true market value in that lot is closer to $500. Mm. 
but the investor doesn't know that. And there's so many transactions there and there's so many lots to look at in Costilla County. The range in prices, if you look at a year or two of comparable sales within a, I don't know, 10 mile radius of, of that area, because it's rural, what you'll find is the range per acre is shamefully small to shamefully high, which means some people are getting a great deal or that's debatable, but most people are getting fleeced. So the range per acre can be like a thousand dollars an acre range, mm -hmm. which is huge. That's a massive range. It shouldn't be anywhere near that, especially when nothing is developed. All things are equal. Now, change direction down to Florida, you get similar situations in Florida. Um, one of the places I'm going to talk about originally came to pass because they were planned subdivisions that failed. And which means they laid the infrastructure, they grid, they put the, built the grid, which is why you're seeing the grid, Mike, on the map there, as we talked about. They laid the, did the plat, and they broke all these things up into individual lots. And within that, uh, they started putting infrastructure in place. And that starts with the roads, because if they put the roads in, now the trucks can get the materials to the job site to do the, do the rest of the work. So they'll do what they call stub it, which means they'll put in uh, electrical and plumbing. And then they'll put roads in. And then they that's when you see the stub sticking out of the ground. So that's like the next step beyond Costilla County. Costilla County is still very raw. It's very tumbleweed. Mm -hmm. Kind of like the slab city of Colorado, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if you look down in South Florida, and for you folks at home, you want to see an idea what I'm looking at or I'm talking about, go on Google Maps or Google, go, go on Google Maps because it'll show you the property boundaries. Uh, and then look over like Lehigh Acres, Florida. Uh, Lehigh, L-E-H-I-G-H, -I, I think. But Lehigh Acres, Florida. And then look east of I-270, or I-75. Look east of I-75. So that's on the opposite side that the ocean's on. So go to I, look at I-75, and then look on the opposite side of where the Gulf of Mexico is. You'll see these grid, these maps, where it's just a bunch of lots out there. There's several places like that. The River Ranch is one of them, um, where people have, originally developers bought up all this land, Great idea to do all this development, and then it failed. Now, these lots are a little more desirable because they have infrastructure close by. Well, number one, they have infrastructure already buried down there. The problem is, from what I'm told from friends of mine that are in the land business, is that the infrastructure that was put in in Lehigh Acres was put in back in the 60s. And because it was stubbed and not actually completed into a structure, what's been stubbed is pretty much it would be too costly to deal with, you know, it's like the pipes and the wires, they got water intrusion. They're just, it's, it's completely useless. However, logically, if you're looking at those two locations and I'm explaining to you this guys, because there's a bigger message here, but I'll, I'll get to it. Just bear with me. If you look at Costilla, Colorado, most of the lots are inaccessible for various reasons. They're on the side of a mountain. There's no road leading to your lot. You got to drive across Michael and Tyler's lot to get to your lot because you're in the back and there's no road that directly goes to your lot, which means you're not getting to your lot, which means the value of that lot is very low. Unless Mike and I want to build a bigger piece of land, we might be willing to buy your land, but that's about it. That's what people are running into in places like Costilla County. That land doesn't have a lot of value because nobody's going to build a McMansion in Costilla County, Colorado, because there's nothing out there but tumbleweeds. And you can't build the last time I checked on the side of a mountain, right? Or on a, in a wash, you can't build on a wash, mm -hmm. right? And you look in the desert, you see the washes. When it rains, that becomes eight feet deep and roaring. Well, nobody's building a house there. 
Even you don't even doesn't matter if you need permits. It'd just be dumb to do. Snow melts, you're in trouble. <laughs> so, but in Fort Myers, on the other hand, in Lehigh Acres area, that might make a little more sense. Not much, but a little more sense because right next door is like the city of Fort Myers. Right down the road is the city of Naples. You know, who knows what's going to happen down the road. And buying a lot in one of those little places may not be the greatest thing in the world. But if you can pick one up for 500 bucks, 1,000, 1,500 bucks, not a lot of money and just sit on it. Hey, this is an investment advice, but you never know what can happen. Uh, I have not bought any of those down there personally because I keep meaning to go in there every time I drive by and drive around and kind of see what the situation is because I'm just curious. But uh, one of these days, I assure you, I'm going to do it. But uh, something like that might make a little sense. So the big difference is, is that proximity to infrastructure. When Mike says it's the county over from him, I've been to where Mike lives. Mike's out in the middle of friggin' nowhere. There's like mountain goats and bears and all horses walking down the middle of the street. He's out in the middle of the nowhere, but he's in the civilized part of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> Your town's been around since 1864, I think it was first settled or something like that. Uh, it's been around, well, not as long as Key West, but not too far, about 40 years after Key West. That's kind of crazy to think, isn't it? Right. But that, so just because it's Salida, which is a desirable place to live right now, it's like a tourist mecca. It's got this cool river running through it, and it's awesome little downtown. That doesn't make Costilla any better because the uh, the attraction to Salida begins and ends with the city of Salida. You get five miles outside of Salida, you got nothing. I know because I stay at the BLM and there is nothing That's out right. there <laughs> but dirt, <laughs> dirt and sand and and whatnot. When you get once you get outside of the cute little city, so you don't have that same thing in Florida. Now let's flip to a different model. So we'll step out of land for a second. And well, let's talk about those houses, Mike, that we talked about, like uh, well, Gary, Indiana, mm-hmm. Fort Bend, Indiana, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, I have a PhD in Memphis, Tennessee, right? <laughs> uh, you can buy a duplex in Memphis, Tennessee right now for around five grand. Actually, probably less, about 2,500. But uh, you will not find a contractor that will actually show up to go there. I can almost guarantee that. And if you go to check on them, the neighbor will probably shoot you uh, or steal your car and then shoot you and leave you dying in the street. You're not exaggerating. Not at all. Not one. I wish I was, but no, not at all. You guys remember probably a couple of years ago, you've been listening to me. I had one of my property managers that I love dearly, Danny. I had him on the show many years ago and he was one of my, he was the good property manager I had in Memphis. And we talked about some of the things that he did with working with the police to help me out. But I got a lot next door to one of my properties from the city of Memphis for a hundred bucks. And that was an acre and a half lot in downtown Memphis. Wow. Big big old lot. Uh, Right next door to my apartment building. It used to have two apartment buildings sitting on it. That lot was originally, well, not originally, but in the 1960s, it was bought by an insurance company for about $185,000. Here's a fun fact. Apparently, there's a federal law that says insurance companies, when they sell that whole life stuff that you guys buy and that term life where you be your own banker type thing and you think yeah. you're going to get rich borrowing yeah. your own money, say that in the mirror with a straight face. I'm going <laughs> to borrow against myself. Sure you are. <laughs> Dummy. Anyway, uh, the, those insurance companies are required to place that money somewhere. They can't just sit, hang on to it. They have to invest it. 
So what they did back then is when they started this and they still do it today, they go around and buy land and they go buy old dilapidated apartment buildings that nobody wants. And they just buy them to buy them and they'll pay whatever the price is just to get the money invested, to keep them regulatory within regulatory compliance. That is a absolute fact. So they're not renting it. They're not having cash flow income from it. Just- no, uh, when they bought it, they bought the land for a couple hundred thousand dollars and in the sixties and then paid to tear the buildings down because they were causing a problem because they were full of rats and gangsters and whatnot back in the sixties. So then they dropped another, I don't know, 20 grand to knock these buildings down and haul away the bricks. So then it sat for all those years. So that would be 40 years. Those lots sat empty owned by the insurance company, never changed hands. The insurance company paid the taxes every year which were not much, a couple hundred bucks. And then one year they didn't pay the taxes. Don't know why, but they didn't. And uh, the city of Memphis and then Shelby County legally can get title to those properties. And they did. And then they notified the insurance company with the last address they had for mail and said, hey, we're taking these properties. And they didn't get a response. So those poor people that bought that whole life policy and were invested in that land, albeit indirectly, well, lost out because those things just got taken by the government. Wow. The government hung on to it until it was a problem. And then they decided to sell it for a hundred bucks. So if I was willing to, oh, to, to, to do, to buy the land, they would sell it to me for a hundred dollars. That way that land becomes Tyler's responsibility instead of the responsibility of Shelby County slash the city of Memphis. Mm-hmm. So the cost for anything that goes on in that piece of land becomes my burden. The government can't tax itself, so it takes a defunct tax account because when the city takes over, takes it over and the county takes it over, the tax bill goes away. Uh-huh. It's illegal for a municipality to pay taxes, so the the tax bill goes away. So there's incentive for them to hot potato and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. I got it for a hundred bucks, and then of course they reassessed it, and I get a tax bill, which wasn't much. Whatever. My point is that. Where it wound up being a very worthwhile investment because what I did with that piece of land is the first thing is I got some bulldozers in there and I raised it, cleared the land, got all the garbage out. I mean, there was 40 years of filth, hypodermic needles and God knows what, baby diapers and toilets and jeez. Cleared all that stuff out and I built a big fenced-in playground on it. And I had uh, a big apartment building there and nearby, well, not a real big one, but nearby. And actually, right now, I'm not nearby, right next door. That was over on, uh, the hell road was that on? I can't think of it right now. Anyway, I, I own the apartment building right next door. So then my tenants, I advertised it to tenants that had kids. And I fenced in the playground. That kept the hoodlums and the drug dealers out. And I gave each one of my tenants, as long as they were current on their rent, wink, wink, nod, nod, if they paid their rent on time, they got an access card. One of them things, you hold it up against the door, it lets people in. Wow. Lets you in. You weren't fancy in the ghetto. Well, I had to, because if I didn't, the hoodlums would then just turn it into a big drug mess and then harass the little kids. Mm -hmm. But we turned it into a safe place for good kids to play. And shitheads weren't allowed to go there. See, that piece of land that was a dump in probably the worst part of town actually served itself quite well. And when I went to sell the building, that was a huge boost to my equity. Because I could say that I was sitting literally on two acres of land in downtown Memphis with a secure playground, high intensity LED lighting. I'm pretty sure you could see my buildings from space. 
<laughs> because I've learned that bad people, dirt bags, don't like being lit up at night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you could, I mean, everybody had room darkening curtains in my apartment buildings because I had so much light going on 24 hours a day. The <laughs> sun never set on my buildings in Memphis. <laughs> but there's three different examples of three completely different scenarios where very low hanging fruit pays off, right? Could pay off. Castillo County, not so much because the location is terrible and there's no other purpose for the land. Who are you going to sell it to? Why would they want it? Is what you have to ask the question you have to ask yourself. In Florida, people would love to own a piece of land in Florida. So the desire, the saleability is there. In Memphis, when there's a playground, it benefits the contiguous landowners. The guy on the other side of that lot from me also had an apartment building. Now, it never worked out that we got together or anything like that, but we could have. And it improved the neighborhood. And it wound up giving me, I didn't have to pay any property tax when I lived in, when I, I didn't live in Memphis, but when I owned in Memphis, because we were improving, we had a portfolio big enough to avoid paying for any property tax, which was a bonus they did to redevelop the cities in Memphis. It helped me keep my tenants in place and their rent on time because you don't want to be the kid's mom that didn't pay her rent on time and then junior can't go play in the, in the playground. Mm-hmm. And it works swimmingly. So let's, Thoughts on it? Yeah. So we got three great examples, right? But the overarching thing in these, the low-hanging fruit. Everybody wants to get in real estate. Right now it's tough. So what is the cheapest way to enter it? Education. Education, yeah. Well, we talked about, you know, some like Costello County. Okay, maybe that's not quite a scam, but it might be a a bad investment. We're talking about that there's some places like Lehigh Lehigh Hills or something in Florida. Lehigh Acres. It might be a good or might be a bad investment. So I guess let's talk about how to determine if it's a good investment or not. You know, in Tarpon Springs, we dealt with the city council quite a bit, and they kept Mm -hmm. bringing up their land use. Mm -hmm. You know, every town, every county has an idea of what they want, um, what they want their future zoning to be. This will be industrial. This is going to be residential. We plan on expanding in this area. So I guess let's talk about... If somebody does find a, a five thousand uh, dollar acre, is it is it worth anything or not, or will it be worth anything? That's going to completely depend on location, where it is, and what it could be used for, what the next buyer would view it for. Let's switch over to Ohio. Lots mm-hmm. of people think you can go to Ohio and want any city in Ohio, buy these cheap houses. You see them online all the time. Twenty five thousand, twenty five thousand dollars for a duplex. Yeah. Oh my goodness! I'm going to make a fortune. I can rent it for nine hundred dollars a side. Well, understand that you are buying probably some of the cheapest structures in America. Oh, price point wise. And you have to ask yourself, what clientele am I serving? So these houses that are at $25,000 or $50,000 are run down. They need a lot of work. So Mike, when was, if you went to Home Depot right now in, I don't know, pick a city in Ohio said, I'm here to buy a, a, an Amana Model 3 stove, they're going to tell you it's 400 bucks. And if you go to Salida, Colorado, one of the most expensive areas in, around, and ask for that same model stove, it'll only be about $20 more. So the, the fixed, many fixed costs neighborhood to neighborhood are identical. A two by four in Salida, Colorado probably is cheaper than in Ohio because mm-hmm. they're milled locally. Mm-hmm. So... People feel, well, it's, I'm starting out cheap, right? But all other things are pretty much equal. You're not going to find somebody to work for $2 an hour to fix that house, not anybody dependable. 
So you're going to pay a premium to get a licensed contractor who won't steal from you or make you have it get it fixed twice. So the construction cost is going to be not much of a savings there. The cost of materials, there's not much of a savings there. And then that's before we even get into how are you going to make money off of this? Mm-hmm. If it's the bottom of the barrel property in the bottom of the barrel neighborhood and you become the shiny penny, where's the incentive for the next buyer? What are they going to do with it? Are they going to sell it? Are you going to sell it to them for a hundred thousand dollars? If you paid 50, well, that depends how much rent does it generate and what has to be done to get it to generate that rent. So let's throw an example out there. You buy that house for $25,000. You spend $50,000 fixing it up. That's realistic. You can spend 50 grand at Home Depot in any market in America. Doesn't have to be Beverly Hills. 50 grand renovating a, a, a quote unquote cheap house. Now you're in it for $75,000. It rents for $950. You're losing money because you're mm-hmm. finding the next buyer, or actually you, if you're financing any part of that, is probably paying six, seven, eight, nine percent interest. And that's before we even get into property management and whatnot. Now, Let's not forget, we are located in one of the lowest income areas in America where rent is so cheap because all things are equal. The reason why rent is cheap is because people can't afford to pay any more. So you're dealing with a C or D class tenant that is not going to be nice to your property. They're not going to maintain it. They're not going to use it very well. They're going to be mean, nasty to it. And you're going to see odd stains about knee high through the entire building where the dog's tail rubs against the wall and the kids put their fingerprints everywhere. And there's always one guy, some fat white guy wearing a wife beater and slides with white socks is going to put his hand through one of the bedroom doors, trying to tell his wife what's up. That's what goes on all through Ohio. You don't believe me? Go on Google Maps and walk through some of those neighborhoods. You're buying in the ghetto. Well, you're buying in the slum, not necessarily the ghetto. You might not get shot in in these areas, but everything around it is disgusting. Well, who wants to intentionally buy a $100,000 house? Let's fast forward to the next buyer. You're going to sell it and try to make 25 grand, which is really after you pay the realtor and the taxes and the closing costs, you're really not making much of a profit at at 100 grand. The next guy that's going to buy this house at 100 grand, still a cheap house if he's from Florida or anywhere else in the world. He's from, I don't know, anywhere in the country. $100,000 for a house is still cheap. Stay with me. That guy's going to look at that and go, ooh, and you get the same tenant, the same situation, and the most they can pay is that $950, but now you've paid $100,000 for the house, so now it's become unaffordable because it's not the price of the house that's going to dictate how your rental situation is going to go out. It's the service you as a landlord provide to the end user, the tenant. Those tenants are going to beat you into submission forever. Because the low-income housing, uh, not even even subsidized housing, but the cheap rentals in Ohio, that's a tough way to go go about things. You better be damn thick-skinned. And And those deals don't make money. I know some people are probably thinking, well, after COVID, we had a flood of remote workers, people who no longer have to live in New York. They no longer have to live in Miami. And so I know that's been a, a target for a lot of uh, first time investors. Oh, well, I will get this cheap land because I'm sure a remote worker would want to live here in the middle of nowhere. Well, that might be true. It might not be. So it's, it's a real hard gamble. Like here in Salida, this town is full of remote workers. If I didn't know that it was already attractive to them, AKA they were already here. I don't think I would buy it. 
Like if in the middle of nowhere in Nebraska and you're hoping that a remote worker is going to come there from California because it's cheap, because they want a larger house for, the, for their money, that might be true. It might not be. But it sure is a huge gamble. And you know we're all in real estate for the cash flow, which reduces the risk, right? Right. So if you're going to be thinking along those lines, perhaps look for a small town that's reasonably priced that already has a small community of remote workers. How do you find them? Go on Facebook. You can find these remote worker Facebook groups all over the place. I know here in Salida, there's quite a few of them. But I guess the end of the story is if you're looking for low-hanging fruit, and we all are, you know, we all, all want to get started in real estate investing in this weird, weird market. You've got to do your research. Make sure that it's a place, first off, that you see. Please don't buy anything sight unseen. <laughs> when you agree, yes. Tyler, there's a lot of that I've been seeing around too between the uh, YouTube influencers. Oh, you know, buy in this town in Pennsylvania because they're giving away free land. At least see it and judge for yourself. Talk to the neighbors, do some research. Like I said, go on Facebook, see if people want to come to that area. Um, anything else you could think of, Tyler? My number one takeaway summary thing from this whole thing, the one way to, to completely protect yourself when you're buying real estate of any kind, investment or otherwise, never, ever, ever, Weigh in the opinion of someone who stands to benefit financially from the deal you're about to do. I don't care if that's the buyer's agent, the listing agent, the seller, the title company, your lender. Your lender's on commission. You don't believe me? Look at your closing statement. You'll see. Anybody who is directly or indirectly benefits from that transaction is advice you don't want to take. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but that's a fact. Don't do it. Because they're going to give you advice to push you over the finish line. And then you're going to wind up buying some crappy house in Ohio that you're going to wind up paying the mortgage on because your tenants decide they don't want to, they don't want to pay the, the rent. Just don't do it. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I think this will resonate with a lot of people. Myself also, because I'm trying to find out, okay, well, this real estate market is bizarre. <laughs> it's not doing what we anticipated. How do we make money in it? Very carefully. And, you know, Tyler and I have been looking at uh, other industries. I mean, you're forming a, a new company right now outside of real estate because right. real estate's great in some areas, sometimes, and sometimes you have to look elsewhere. Right. And it's time to, you know, sometimes you, it's, it doesn't hurt to spread things out a little bit, right? Uh, I know that's, that sounds, you hear that a lot in Wall Street and whatnot, but there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And uh, in all markets, financial markets, silver, gold, you name it. Mm -hmm the cryptocurrency market, real estate market, the lending space, note investing, it's all up topsy-turvy. doesn't mean that it's a bad time to invest. It just means that you need to sharpen your pencil and do more homework. Make sure you completely understand where your money's coming from. Where is your, not, not necessarily if it will pay you, is a how it will pay you. That answer should be clear. If it's a mystery, take a step back, take a deep breath, think twice about it, that low-hanging fruit. That's what got Adam in trouble. Don't forget that for those of my religious friends out there. That low-hanging fruit. So we'll, we'll leave you with that. Oh, see, Mike, Mike, Mike's done his Bible scholarly stuff, right? <laughs> so, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you, you, you think about what we said, and I, I want to keep you out of trouble. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on, a lot of sharks out there in the water just looking for someone to bite and drag under the water and drown. I don't want you to be one of them. Mike doesn't want you to be one of them. With that said, we'll catch up with you next week, and we'll see you on the next one. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple.
multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.